Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Kern. I'm with Father Kurt Nagel. And Father Nagel, you are going to you're going to open us uh, our program with a scripture reading and a prayer. So I'd like to begin with the the last verse and half of uh, the Gospel of Mark. So Jesus then, after he had spoke with them, was taken up into heaven and took his seat at the right hand of God. But they went forth and preached everywhere, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word through accompanying signs. Lord, I ask you to continue to work through us, um, with us. I ask you to bless um, this time we spend together, um, sharing and discussing the faith that you've given us um, and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we ask these prayers through Christ our Lord. Amen. Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much, Father Nagel. Well, Father Nagel, the last time we spoke, it was in Lent. Was it? Oh, it yeah. Was. It's been a while. Yeah. It's been a while. So I guess I'd love to check in with you on, this is this was your first, I think this was your first Easter at St. Monica's. It was. So what was that like, Holy Week and, and Easter with a, with a new community, a new parish family? Well, it was interesting. I, I, you know, everybody else knew more about what they did than I did. Um, and I, I really did try to follow the standard advice of just living through things for a year and not making huge changes or anything substantial. And so just see what's the parish do uh, for these beautiful days. And I have to say it was, it was a wonderful, um, it was a wonderful week, a holy week. Uh, I, I still think we're trying to get back to the full, I, I don't think we've fully recovered in terms of um, people coming back, uh, even for the Triduum. But it was nice, uh, certainly fuller than usual, and um, so for for me it was a um, a wonderful uh, celebration. I I had the, a deacon to preach one of the masses, but I I had a chance to preach the other Good Friday and Easter and vigil, and so it was a again a wonderful start off. Uh, looking forward to next year, and I have to say I I wouldn't change a lot. I think they do a wonderful job at the parish, and so uh, things are pretty good. That was a nice recovery at the end there, Father. Just yeah. going to point that out. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of let him go through the first year, but then can bring the hammer down in year two. Yeah, yeah get ready. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, no, I actually have a question, though. Uh, as, as you, as a, a priest and pastor, know, you're going to have a whole bunch of folks who come through the doors, through the triduum, uh, and really probably mostly on... On, on Easter Sunday. If there are the other days as well, let me know. But I think of Easter Sunday and maybe the vigil as a time where you have lots of folks that are there because they're visiting family, they're doing this for mom or dad, or there's a, maybe they're part of the family that's um, connected to someone entering the church, all of that stuff. Do you? Does that change your preaching? Does that change, like, is the thought, I'm not going to just stay connected to the the feast day, but you know what? I'm going to preach the gospel in the charisma, yeah. right? I'm going to I'm going to invite people to come back to church, come back to Jesus, go to confession, stuff like that. Does that? How much does that play into your own discernment? Well, I do think um, that I my my homilies for Triduum usually are they are charisma based um, because I do think it's you know these are. These are the holy days. Um, these are the major events of the Paschal mystery, and so naturally, I think it tends in that direction. I, I don't really, I, but I don't. I, so I do think I, I, I do the basic gospel message. I, do, I try to just hit that and um, keep it simple but important and on 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 target. I hope. I don't really say. I know there's lots of you that you know explicitly say. I know there's visitors here and may not and. I, I that, and I have to be honest. This this year, I didn't really see a lot. That's one of the things I was saying is I I recognized the the congregation. I didn't have a whole lot of people. I didn't certainly see many people coming. And this might be you know good or bad news. I may I mean maybe bad news, but I don't. I didn't see a lot of quote unquote Christmas and Easter Catholics in my parish in the sense that the people who came were those who were there. They've come before. And I, my fear is that the the COVID times has just basically wiped out Catholic and uh, Eastern and Christmas Let's Catholics. Let's call it cultural Catholicism. Yeah, I, I think it's really t- t- again. I may be overstating it just from one data point, so to speak. But I didn't see those people who don't know what they're doing or wonder, and I never seen you before in my life. Um, 
you know, there are a few visitors that p- people introduced to me because they were there for the, for the they came from out of town or something, but it, but not many. It was really, it was an in crowd. Um, and again, that that's that, that, that could be a, a bad sign saying we've lost a lot of those people on the periphery and they've, they'd rather than just coming twice a year, they're not going to come at all. But I, but to answer your question more directly, I I don't explicitly address them. Although I, and I, I guess I have always figured that what I'm preaching is, you know, I, I don't. For instance, it's it's a basic message. I don't I don't have a different homily for the the vigil and Easter Sunday. Although I might at the vigil talk, you know, speak directly to them, those who are to be baptized. But um, it's because it's just the basic Easter message, and and so I I don't really go explicitly towards um, those who are not Catholic or those who are just coming back or maybe infrequent. Well, and, and it's, um, you mentioned something about it where we're pretty much over restrictions connected to attendance at liturgy. Right. And so yeah. coming to Mass. So it's sort of like, okay, we're at the moment now where come one, come all, you're welcome. You're welcome to come back. Come back home. Come back to the center. You know the the source and summit of your faith. And now, kind of looking around and saying, "Wait a minute, it's not only." And this is your point. And I want to hear more about this in your in your sort of thinking. The um, the fact that I call them cultural Catholics, those that yeah. had been attending mass pre COVID, just because it was the thing to do. The parents going for the sake of the kids. The kids going because the parents make them. It's just what we do on Sunday, um, but not you know maybe like that's like the soil that's not very deep, right? So then when right. you have the the seed sown and all of a sudden trials come and difficulties come, uh, all of a sudden now it withers uh, or it gets choked off, right? So those types of soil, it, it in some ways it feels like there was a a bit of uh, sifting, a bit of the testing around. What does your faith really mean to you? Where is God in your life as it relates to the practice of your Catholic faith? Actually, as you were speaking, that word, that verb sifting is what I was, I was thinking about just before I used it. I, I, I do think that's true. Another thing might be, um, you know, the parable of the seed sown and the idea of um, the roots aren't very deep. Uh, you know, do you have deep roots uh, that can survive the blast and the dryness or, or not? And I do think... There's been some withering, so to speak, um, of those who come to church. I honestly think that we have pretty much who we have now. As you say, people are, there's no real reason to stay away now in terms of COVID. Even the people who are COVID-cautious in my parish, I think mostly they're there. There might be some really elderly, vulnerable people, and I think that probably still is true. But in terms of the large majority of uh, the parishioners, the people who are coming, I had a little wave uh, this last um, actually, and also in, in Lent and even in Holy Week, there, was, there were some people say this first time back uh, in two years. But I think we pretty much have what we're going to have going forward. Um, and I think there's been a definite drop in terms of that. Um, again, that'll be different for each parish, I'm sure. And it's hard for me to, but I bet it's at least a quarter. It's just, it's not going to show up. That, that's a striking thing that you just said. A twenty-five percent of of your parishioners have chosen not to come back after COVID. Now, when I use that term, the reason I think that is, um, I did I did an extra mass count. Um, we in the Archdiocese of Seattle, we usually do one in the fall, and I did that one. But I said, you know, then we lifted up the um, the dispensation was lifted. Uh, after Christmas or before, right, right around Christmas, I forget the exact date. And so I, in February, I did another mass count. I wanted to see if there's been a change, um, if that had any impact or, or just maybe the passage of time. And then I looked at back in, in, in 2019, before COVID, I wanted to look at the numbers there for my parish. And there was really almost no change from October to February. Um, now again, you're talking two data points, uh, but... Um, it wasn't, I didn't see a huge bounce back. And I think that's the, the, the three quarters numbers kind of, I was just comparing that with the mass counts in 2019, um, to now. And that, again, I have not been there in the parish. Uh, I've been there less than a year. So it's, for me, it's not personal experience. It's kind of looking at those old numbers. Sure. No, that makes sense. Well, when I think about this then in terms of, um, 
in terms of uh, like impact, it one of the ways that I had interpreted the COVID uh, challenge was that it was an Elijah moment. And you probably know that I'm talking about the moment of the 450 prophets of Baal uh-huh. versus Elijah yeah. and, and that like powerful statement, how long will you straddle the issue if the Lord is God, follow him, if Baal, follow him. But the people did not answer. Mm-hmm. And it was only when fire came from heaven that they responded. And it felt, it feels like pre-COVID, the people did not respond. You know, they wanted to straddle the issue. Like, where is faith? Where is the practice of my faith? Where is attending Mass as an essential part of me being Catholic and living my life in the light of that my Catholic sense of identity, that that's a central thing. And so the Lord is God, I'm going to serve Him. And it feels like one way of interpreting what happened in COVID was fire fell from <laughs> fire fell from heaven, and there was a great si- that sifting, and people were saying, you know, um, the Lord is not God in that way for me. I'm gonna just float away or walk away or not come back. I think that's pretty strong. I yeah. mean, that was maybe stronger than maybe you were saying, but I'm kind of putting it out there. Well, what I how I would. You know, you use the Elijah image. I, I think some, but I think there's the drifting away. I think is is there, um, and I would say the COVID thing is kind of a drifting. But I also think there's it's just not COVID. There's all these other factors going on right now in the world, right? Um, it's it's a deeply, I think, troubling time for lots of people. It's it's unstable. Um, you know, the, the, and people wonder where the stability is, including within the church, perhaps. But but I do think that there's there has been a, a, a drifting away, certainly. I, I haven't had too many people come up to me and just get, you know, out of anger at the church. Not so much right now. Um, I think it's just the people that are gone, they didn't leave, they didn't slam the door. Um, they just decided, I have, I, sort of in a, almost a passive way, say, I don't, I don't really believe enough to do, to do this anymore. I think you said the word passive. Yeah. Um, I heard, so Dr. Ray Garendi has a program on Sacred Heart Radio at 10 o'clock. And uh, he's a lot of call-in, but he also does commentary. And one of the points that he made recently was that a number of the most painful and tragic trials that families face are as a result of passivity in the father mm-hmm. or passivity in the parents. But let's just let's focus on fatherhood because you're you're our spiritual father, you're a priest. And the passivity shows up as an unwillingness to engage when it's uncomfortable, mm-hmm. an unwillingness to intervene when it's going to disrupt the sense of peace in the room. And as a result of that, the, the, the suffering, the, the tragic, uh, toxic, or dangerous impacts are allowed to continue because of passivity. And the example that he used was the the tremendous harm that is coming into teenagers' lives through smartphones and the unwillingness of parents to stand up and be parents and intervene mm-hmm. and stop that from happening or to put up a hedge of defense and say, I'm not going to let you get one of these because I love you so much, no matter how much you rail and whine and scream and complain. I love you too much to put this toxic... Uh, funnel into your life. And so that theme of passivity. You know, it's interesting. I, I was reading, I was actually on vacation uh, a couple weeks ago, and I reread a book. I don't know if I've, I've spoken with you about this before, Tom, but it's uh, by a man named a Dr. Leonard Sachs, The Collapse of Parenting. Have you heard of that book? No, I haven't. It's a great book. I recommend it. Um, in fact, I preached about this past weekend in my parish. And the collapse of parenting, Leonard Sachs, for those of you who don't know, he's an MD, but he also has a a PhD in psychology. He has a private practice in uh, suburbs of Washington, D.C., sort of the affluent suburbs there. And he's for decades. So he's coming from that, that, and he's he's a worldwide speaker, so he goes around talking about parenting. And among many things, the big point of his book is that, again, what the collapse of parenting is, is the inability 
of parents to establish and exert authority. He, he talks about the temptation these days. Really, kids are being raised by their peers because the, the people with the most influence and formation in their lives are their same age peers as opposed to their parents. There's a, this is a huge shift that's gone on. And he uses the social media as, a, as an issue, et cetera, as an example of that, where, again, they're just not being able to say no and, and set and guard and maintain rules. Uh, now, it'll sound like, well, from just what I said, that this is kind of, well, he's some sort of wet blanket or something. But it's a, it's a brilliant book. And again, the guy has all the, de- the data. Again, he's, he's very um, scientifically based. It, he's not, it's not really a, a religious book per se, although I think he's a believer. But I do think, and I was reading that during vacation, and I was thinking, it came to me, this is this exactly what the, the priest issue here. Um, how many times do I want to be my, my parishioner's friend or peer as opposed to spiritual father? Uh, a peer wants to be liked. A peer wants to, you know, we're, we're the same, and, and there's not authority in that way other than sort of this indirect group think, peer-to-peer authority um, that doesn't raise kids very well. And so, I, again, I was reading it in terms of um, the priesthood, and it kind of came to me saying, well, you know, this book could be given to every pastor, and there would be something valuable in it for them, too. Wow, that's, that's powerful. Okay, so, uh, full disclosure, while you were talking, I ordered the book. <laughs> you definitely, you definitely. I, I, I just ordered it. I, I, I want to learn more about parenting, but you know what jumped out at me or about the book is when it was written. 2016, I think. 2017. 17, okay. So he's talking about the the damaging effects of the uh, smartphone on parenting five years ago. Yeah. And it has gotten, I don't know, uh, exponentially more difficult right. as, it, as it concerns the overwhelming effect of, of the smartphone. But I don't think I've ever heard it said that the way that you just said it uh, and the way that he's presenting it in the book— is that um, parents are abdicating their parenting and they're, you know, giving that place to the smartphone. And that, exactly. So he says that when he talks about peer-to-peer relationship, he's really talking about social media and other forms of media. That, that you know, it, think of the way in which what social media does. It, it makes you conform, but it, it's not an unconditional love of the parent. It's a conditional love. If you don't do this, then I'm going to drop you. I'm not going to like you, literally, and also sort of social media-wise like you. Mm-hmm. And again, I think parents I think parents deep down realize they've lost authority over their children's form- <coughs> formation. And so, Actually, what I'm going to do is this, Father. I'm going to give you a chance to get a glass of water. Um, I'm going to go to a break, and then when we come back, I want you to pick up on this point, which I'll just reset for the folks that are listening. This is okay. Tom Kern. I'm with Father Kurt Nagel. We'll be back in a minute with Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. I'm with Father Kurt Nagel, and his throat is clear. Thanks be to God. <laughs> All right. So, Father Nagel, thanks for being on today with me. And just before the break, Father Nagel, you were uh, addressing the point that um, is made by Leonard Sachs in his book on, what was the name of the book? The Collapse of Parenting. The Collapse of Parenting, and how, again, another insight that I hadn't named quite the way that you did, where you were just saying that parents... Um, Parents, they want to be liked, and so they're less likely to intervene, but social media doesn't care about your kids, and so they don't need you to like them, but they put the pressure on to say, conform, or you will be rejected. Right. That is so, again, an interesting point. So please, kind of build off of that, continue I I think the thing is that I think parents, and I see this increasingly in my parishioners, Parents are almost desperate now because they know they're losing control of the formation of their children. That their children are becoming people they don't know. They're being taught in things they don't believe. They again, they, they realize that these strangers developing in their house, and and they I think deep down also realize it's their peers through social media or otherwise that are doing the formation, and so they figure. I need to be a peer because that's that's how I can influence my kid. Um, I need to get down at that level because that's the, if I want to have an impact on my kid, that's the way to reach this this child. And I think that that's and, and again, Sachs and others say, well, this is the, this is the, the completely the wrong way to do it um, because there's this there's this buildup in our society that says strict and loving are contradictory. 
you can't be strict and loving. You can't be rule-based but also have compassion for your child, which is really disastrous for parenting because he goes on, Sachs goes on to say, there's the too soft parent, there's the too hard parent, but there's the just right parent. And the just right parent is the one who can be strict and loving and strict because loving. And so there's that whole tension there. So I... I've told this story before, but maybe not on a program with with uh, with you and Father Lewis. Uh, it was uh, my daughter who was really in the midst of a rebellious time, very very challenging, and we upheld a standard that said you have to turn in your phone at night. Mm-hmm. And she was having none of it and was pretty expressive of the with with intensity of the fact that um, this was not something that she was going to accept. But we got the phone, and we had it in our room with the other phone. You know, it was, this was when we were still learning about how bad it was to have phones. And even though we were doing all the monitoring, and she wrote a letter, slid it under our door that night. And we woke up in the morning, and I'm like, uh-oh, what has she written? And in the midst of the letter was this sentence, thank you for loving me enough to not let me get away with stuff that you know is not good for me. Mm. Yeah. Thank you for loving me enough to not let me get away with things that you know are not good for me. And I have, here's the thing, I've used that line with her in, in the last several years. Whenever we come up against um, one of those things that say, you know, the online world and my friends, my peers will celebrate me, will celebrate my decisions, celebrate what I'm doing. And you won't. And so the problem is yours. Mm -hmm. And then I come back with that line. You know that we love you, but we love you enough to not let you get away with stuff that you know is not good for you. And it was, it was, it's a powerful line. It's really powerful. That's, so I'm not saying we get it all right, um, because that's kind of coming through the fire. And that actually came from my daughter. But it was, um, it's definitely the case that to be engaged, to really be engaged in this world is to recognize that your kids, that their peers are online and the message that they get here, here's how I describe it. Father is that that overwhelming anti-gospel message is pervasive, clever, entertaining Mm -hmm. and intimidated, intimidating. It's, it's seductive. So those are the, the attributes that I give to it. Seductive, clever, it's pervasive and it's intimidating. If you don't give in, they will put the pressure on you. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, do, do what? What chance do we have as parents if we are not like really engaging in a monitoring effort or, or even access effort to to say well, we're going to limit access and we're going to limit? We we and you can see how you need to do this together, right? Whenever I would talk right. about this stuff at parishes. The immediate response was, we need to do this again and get every parent, force them to come in and hear this message again about social media and about phones and all that. Because if they don't agree together, then the kids are going to say to their parents, why are we so extreme? Why am I the only one? And and I, first off, I agree with you that if, you, if, the, if the community would change, that would make it so much easier. Um, but I also think that it comes down to what, what do you think good parenting consists of? Part of it is, I think that today, and I, I'm pastor in pretty affluent areas, but I think it's probably pervasive, but certainly in middle class, upper middle class America, to be, I think people think to be, to be a good parent is to make sure your, your child is a success, which means good grades, kind of popular in the sense of you know, sports, yeah, it gets into a good college, gets a good job, uh, sets up in that way as opposed to being able to have a fulfilling life through self-discipline, um, being able to achieve, you know, achieve failure and to res- be resilient against failure. And also to be, uh, ultimately it's going to be, you're going to be against the culture in the sense of what the culture says is success and happiness isn't. And so I remember one parent in this book that I just mentioned, uh, The Collapse of Parenting by Leonard Sachs was, the parent, the mom told the daughter right up, you're not going to be the cool kid in, in school. Just give that up. You're not going to be cool. And and the, the kid came back kind of like your daughter, I think, says, you know, you're ruining me. I'm going to be in counseling all my life. 
because of what you've done. And then when, by the time she gets into college, she says, you know, everybody else around me is in counseling and I don't need it. Thank you, Mom. And so, again... You know, I, that's, that's our story. Yeah. So we had this false notion that uh, it was sort of a, a high school that our kids would experience would be closer to the experience of our high school, which meant let's set the kids up to be part of the in crowd. Let's, let's set them up to be able to fit in and be part of the cool crowd, right? So they can sort of have the whole world where they can be great people of faith, great kids, but also um, not, not awkward and, and, and have a, a hard time fitting in in high school. Mm-hmm. And that was the trap. That was the trap. And so one form of the trap, I should say. Because getting into high school and then watching our kids begin to suffer because if you, the closer you got into the in crowd, the more that that crowd looked a lot like the world. Oh, yeah, definitely. And That's- this is, but, but this is at Catholic high schools. This is at like the best Catholic high school in the archdiocese. Well, but again, the inner circle is by a definition, really, it's a worldly concept. And so... I, I agree that I can see the temptation, but it, it, that's a it's, a it's a worldly institution. Um, it, so I. But you'd think I, it was in like in a, in a in a in a school that was full of faith. But in you, we've had this conversation before yeah, on the program that. that that Catholic schools by nature are evangelistic, not discipling. They happen to disciple, but they're essentially evangelistic, meaning that they're open to take in anyone as long as they're willing to to recognize the fact that we are going to live our Catholic faith here. But when the overwhelming majority of kids are not faith-filled kids coming from families that are intentionally living their faith, then it's the anti-gospel of the present world coming through the internet that has a dominant pressure and, um, and, and sows its seeds into the atmosphere, even in these best Catholic schools. And, and that's, that's the danger. It, it's all that's all true. I I do think you mentioned the community of parents. Um, we have a, a small pilot program, high school pilot program at St. Monica's St. Monica's Academy, and and it's a real different feel because these are very intentional families that have they've sent their children to this experience. It's a classical based uh, model, and and I do think those families would be self supportive about this. So again, it, it's a different feel. Uh, because they're they're living out of a different culture, they have a different community. Now, one's a very tiny community; the other is worldwide. But I do think it matters about having a community that would back you in terms of uh, the way you raise your child. Um, well, and that's it. So I I would coach these very successful executives and CEOs, and I would put on the I'd, I'd write on the board at the beginning of our sessions what is at stake, and and the whole concept was. It's not just figuring out what's happening, but what's at stake and what's happening. What's the good at stake? And the idea there was um, take action based on what's at stake, right? And that's what, again, led us to say we have to uproot and move. And now we're settled in a place where just talking to my daughter, she graduates next month. Her graduating class is like 20 kids. Mm -hmm. She was in a graduating class that was probably 250 kids. And and we just had this really interesting conversation, like, hey, do you what do you think about your high school experience? And and she talked about leaving a big school that had all of the opportunities that were there, especially sports, but the wider pond of friends and all of that, to come to a school that has a much smaller profile, but was healthy and was flourishing, and. And she she did say there was a bit of sadness around the fact that she was in a small pond, but she loves the young that she loves the 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 peers the friends that she's been able to develop that are healthy and that we don't have concerns about that they're doing things that are just you don't even bat an eye when you hear about kids in other settings doing these things whether you know in terms of partying and dating and. Uh, all that, all the kind of stuff that the kids will do, just not part of her experience at this school because of the intentional way that faith-filled families are sending their kids to this school, and they're all mutually supporting each other. Yeah. So, a, a, a wonderful gift, a, a lovely thing, but 
Um, let's let's circle this back around to um, how does that intersect with uh, with priests as spiritual fathers in parishes? Because for me, it's one of those things where I would love to, if you will, know that my pastor has my back. And I'd love to know that my pastor is in front leading the way and laying down um, serious challenges, um, gently but serious challenges to say to parents, recognize what's at stake in this stage in your life for your kids and take action. So how do you see that? I think, well, first off, I, I'm pretty pretty open to the fact that I have a cell phone, and there's a reason for that. Um, I don't think it's a healthy culture out there. So, um, it, But that, that, that's a minor thing. I, I do think, although, it's, again, it's real, I say, okay, um, there would be advantages to have smartphones, but not, it's not worth it. Now, I, have, I also recognize that I have a certain freedom that you know, I, I know some people, the profession might, who knows, maybe this you know, required or something. But I do think in terms of, of priests, there's still this, the, the same rules apply. Um, there's the world, as you just mentioned, in terms of Catholic education, it's also true in other ways, that the world, the church is in the world. And, and so that, that whole movement and those values also are, are within the church, within the priesthood, presbyterate, etc., and so the idea of trying to find your own communion, community of priests and, and within the church, et cetera, that's going to have your back. I do think that the priests, it, it, again, I, it, it's challenging because um, priests themselves, just like parents, see this differently. I'm not sure. We might expect, well, all the priests would see things that um, the way I do, uh, that are just enunciated, but... But it's not necessarily the case. And so you also have, okay, the pastor over here said this, that pastor said that, and now you're telling me this. Well, what's wrong with these other two guys? Um, and so there's a mixed message, just as there is in parenting within a Catholic high school, so there is within a presbyterate, I think. It's, it's a challenge for us. And it's a challenge for those who are trying to, to, to work that way. So I, I see a lot of overlap, actually, in terms of what you just talked about in terms of parenting, since we are spiritual parents. In the same, in the vastly, exactly the same culture, um, that, yeah, I, I, I guess I, I'm rambling at this point, but maybe throw it back no, to you. No, no, no. Well, here's the thing. I would love to have, like, we're doing this conversation live. This isn't on our outline, right? The outline is we're having a conversation and just come Holy Spirit, lead us. And it, it feels like one of those crucial conversations that wouldn't it be great to get a to get some priests into the room with some parents who have been like thoughtful about this or who have suffered through this or who are striving to figure this stuff out and just have an open forum like what are the best practices what are the biggest dangers what are the best helps what do we how do we mutually support encourage and hold each other accountable what what would be a way forward what would that look like i think that would be supremely valuable and that's an interesting idea. We we are at, uh, at St. Monica's we're, within next month. We are having an open forum in terms of how how to be a Catholic in the workplace, uh, bringing different faithful Catholics in from different uh, from different professions, and, and letting everybody come in and just have a discussion about the best practices and challenges, and how do you support each other in legal, medical, high tech, whatever the you know education, whatever the field you are in. But in terms of parenting, to do the same thing, we haven't done that. But that might also, you know, it, it's interesting. It might be a good thing. I I, I did preach just this past weekend. Um, if actually for Mother's Day, uh, and I, the whole point was thank your mom for all the time she said no when you demanded a yes that was harmful for you. Uh, so you can use my line. Yeah, well, <laughs> seriously, that would be a great story. But that was the whole point. But see, maybe something can come up of that. I, I did push the Leonard Sachs book, but. Um, Maybe have a book discussion uh, or surrounding that book that could be a kickoff for what you're talking about. Well, I'll, I'll throw this out. I'm going to be um, at Our Lady Star of the Sea um, next Friday, uh, this upcoming Friday, the 13th. Uh, no, no, wait a minute. In two two weeks, sorry, on the 20th, um, they are having their uh, fundraiser for their. Um, for their classical school, oh. the Aquinas Classical Academy. 
So I'm going to be in range. I'll probably, in fact, um, uh, do our this program's pre-record live with you at the at the studio oh, right there. Nice. And then um, I might have time right after that if we want to do some kind of luncheon thing, get some priests and parents together. How I, cool would that be? Well, I I think that'd probably be short notice. Uh, it probably takes longer to 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 organize, but. If we talked about this and said, come on, come on out, you'll have a room full of people who would be willing to come out. Well, even you so. can't, I, my problem is also I don't know what my schedule is right, right, right now. Right. No, I, 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 can't, I, can't, I can't even guys, see what's you, going on. You're watching us do this live. This is awesome. This is real radio. This, this is, is how we do stuff. it, by the way, people. <laughs> Figuring stuff out live in the moment. Uh, but I think that it would be great for priests to hear the painful concern of parents, and it would be great for pa- parents to be able to say, Fathers, we would love it if you would speak to us in this way, if you would lead us in this way. I think that if you talk about that idea of passive fathers, again, in the home, and I know that uh, there's a way in which I'm afflicted with that, as intentional and as you know vigorous as I can be, I know that there's a way in which I'm also passive that I need to repent of and, and I need to overcome. But just to be able to bring this stuff up, right? I would would be like even if we don't have all the solutions, boy, it would be great to like lay out the nature of the issue at hand. Mm-hmm. So, well. I don't know if we have a break right now, but... We are. We are actually at a break, if that's okay, okay. and then we'll come back, and I'll let you pick up uh, the, the thought that you have, and then we'll move on to the next thing. This is Tom Carnum with Father Kurt Nagel, and we're having a... Hey, have a cup of coffee, folks. We're having a nice little conversation here together on Sound Insight. Back in a minute. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Carnum. It is great to be with you today. I'm with Father Kurt Nagel, and uh, we're... We, we're we're doing um, you know what we're doing we're doing Acts of the Apostles stuff as the Spirit leads <laughs> yep. right yep. whatever the, wherever the Spirit leads is, is where we're going today in the conversation we're accompanied by signs and wonders too I'm waiting for that <laughs> so my point would be here's again I'm a pastor that deals with schedules and facilities and these sorts of things I would see what I would like to do is I'd like to set up a set up I'd like to bring you back. Uh, we could, as a, as a parish, bring you back to facilitate, organize three, four, five priests, and get this book as a starting point. Get this book out there. Um, maybe, hopefully, have read it before you come or not. But to then have a open forum in terms of rather than collapsing parent, how do we how do we have supporting, clear, strict, loving parenting um, in today's culture, and what does that look like for priests? And how can priests help parents? And how does that look like parents? And how can parents help priests um, in terms of their mutual parenting? You know who we could also bring in on this is high school principals. Yeah? Uh, I say that. I say high school, but it could also be junior, it could also be grade school at this point. Yeah. Because I, you know, I do get folks contacting me um, across the state about painful situations that they face. And it's it's interesting because I wonder about the phenomenon of false compassion or misguided compassion. And it specifically has to do with this reality of transgender ideology and the way that that manifests itself in, uh, in, in schools, especially yeah. around um, clubs and around policies, around kids who begin to self-identify um, with different genders and that whole like um, pronoun kind of thing and, and just kind of moving downstream from there. Yeah, it's a big um, issue. It, well, and here's the thing. I remember a priest dealing with this, I don't know, maybe five years ago. And even then the archdiocese was trying to navigate how do we, how do we express a sense of compassion and loving acceptance of a, a child and of their family without betraying the authentic faith and what does it mean to love that child and that family well within the boundaries of our Catholic faith. And, and, and it's like the boundaries of our Catholic faith are threatening love. No, the boundaries of our Catholic faith properly guide the expressions of love. Yeah, I, and I do think that's something that 
we're, I think we've started to talk about that. I think there's documents and policies starting to show up, but I think you articulated it well. And I do think that it's on everybody's mind in education, that's for sure. Well, I know of more than one, I know three high schools, uh, three Catholic high schools, where parents have contacted me about specific concerns that led them to remove their kids from the school because their kids' peers uh, began to change their gender identification and that it was um, promoted and applauded by the school. And this was terribly disconcerting to them because they felt like their own child's sense of well-being healthy sense of flourishing within their own sexual identity as the church brings forth the word of God, the revealed truth about sexual identity, and that that wasn't being defended and promoted, but it was being betrayed in the name of a kind of false compassion. So there's a lot at stake in that because you have kids that are teens in Catholic schools and in the name of compassionate acceptance are being swindled of the proper navigation of the things that are emerging within them, swindled out of the wisdom of our tradition around sexual identity and the emergence of one's sense of um, sexual identity, the emergence of one's own ache in their heart and their desire to belong all of those things are, are natural parts of the human experience, but in a fallen world, it can be interpreted in evil ways, like gender, transgender ideology does, that then leads to actions that are deeply harmful and should be tremendously disturbing to Catholic leaders. And I, actually, this is just like the, probably the most, the foremost example of what we were talking about in terms of the world, um, in terms of how it impacts us and how do you, how do you speak to it, how, what kind of rules do you set? Again, language is so powerful. But I, even, I actually think that there's, there are, sometimes people might be surprised by this, but you know, out of the Vatican, there are, the transgender, the gender ideology has not been accepted. There's, there's teaching resources out there, actually very contemporary current ones to, to back up uh, a policy by which we would, um, it, as you say, compassionately and with empathy teach the church's teaching and provide guidance of um, just the objective reality of, of gender uh, within our Male faith. and female, yeah. God created them. I mean, this is not rocket science. But it is complicated in the sense of all the uh, social pressures and, and movements and you know, it, it's a huge. It's like I'd say, like the, the foremost issue. Like again, we you remember we read that book by um, what's her name? Um, the sexual state. Yes, the sexual state. So, and she talked about the four different um, challenges, and we who could have guessed that this transgender ideology could be such a tsunami, like just a tidal wave blasting through. Uh, corporate America, mainstream media, and and landing in public schools through comprehensive sexuality education, and uh, like how quickly it was just sort of like whoa, how did that happen? Like how did that happen so fast? Yeah, and and and, and, and not paying attention to like again, what's at stake? Right? What's the good at stake here? As tsunamis, a good you know, tsunamis take you by surprise. Um, although there's an earthquake first, right? But uh, then it comes at you. And I, I do think this is, again, an example of how parents think I'm losing control of the formation of my children. Because I, they don't even understand where the wave came from uh, until they get hit by it. So, uh, you know, again, this is like the foremost example of what we've been talking about the whole day. Yeah. Well, this, uh, that's uh, Father Kurt Nagel. This is Tom Curran. And today in Sound Insight, we're reflecting on, what well, as the Spirit leads. Um, when we come back, Father, we have a, a last segment you are at, uh, I'm presuming that you are at the recent uh, ordination to the episcopacy of now auxiliary bishop, Frank Schuster, His Excellency. Yes. 
And after when we come back, uh, I'd love to get your own um, your own report on what it was like yeah. uh, to be there at the ordination of a bishop. Back in a minute with more sound insight. Welcome back to the program. All right, Father, I just I felt prompted to move us in a in a direction that maybe is a little bit more celebratory. It is Easter. Right. <laughs> Christ is risen and victorious. And while it is important to take seriously what's at stake, we know that the Lord is in control. The battle is spiritual. We apply those means. And part of, well, not part, uh, really at the essence of how the Lord is engaging continually Jesus Christ uh, uh, in and through the church today is uh, one of the principal manifestations is the sacraments. And among them, when we think about the dispensation of the sacraments, we come down to the the sacrament of holy orders, and the fullness of that sacrament is in the episcopacy. And so, the Archdiocese of Seattle recently celebrated the uh, the ordination to to being a bishop, an auxiliary bishop of uh, Father now Bishop Frank Schuster, and you were there. I was. It was a it was a very celebratory occasion. I, I was. I had confirmation with the Archbishop last week, and I, I mentioned this to him, too, and he agreed. It really felt like, you know, the old times uh, in the cathedral in the sense of, you know, everybody was, was packed. Um, you know, there were no masks. Uh, we sang everything. Lots of priests there. The whole, one of the whole side transepts was filled with priests. Um, it just really felt like, um, again, before times they use that kind of cliche language, but um, so it was. It had a great feeling to it. Um, uh, Bishop Schuster is a very engaging, um, yeah, a very positive person too. And so, and I, he was a year behind me in seminary, but I, I know him fairly well. I've worked with him at the deacon program, permanent deacon program. So it was a just a great day, um, and I think everybody would agree that it was just a, uh, one. As you say, one of those one of those up times. We've had some down times, but it, so it was, it was really a, a chance to get together. And I felt the priest it felt that way as well as we vested before mass. Um, to have some community and uh, celebrate one of our brothers becoming a, pre- a bishop. So it was a great so day. Like, it's good for us to be here, right? Yeah, exactly. I think of, um, well, just a very practical question. Um, will Bishop Schuster remain as pastor at, at St. Vincent de Paul? He will for the moment, at least. He, has a, he, he was given a parochial vicar, um, but, it, but he, it, and also uh, Auxiliary Bishop Elizondo is, is now pastor of Christ the King in North Seattle. He also oh, has wow. a parochial vicar. So there's some sense in which I think the archbishop is looking at, you know, he's kind of splitting up the archdiocese in terms of uh, first-level uh, oversight, uh, you know, between the north and the south. Each one of those bishops will have some immediate, you know, authority over the, their own parts of the diocese. And so, but they, they will at least remain, they'll remain pastors, they'll have lots to do, but... Um, and they'll have some help, but yeah, and that that's to be challenging, but it may be a pretty good thing, I think, for an auxiliary bishop to still have a community like that, rather than simply oh, sit, in, sit in meetings the whole your whole yes. life, you know. Oh, yeah, yes, and amen. This this is sort of reminiscent of I think uh, like I grew up in Boston and in the Archdiocese of Boston, which is huge, and not geographically, not compared to Seattle, but. Uh, in terms of the number of Catholics and the number of parishes, and they did that. They had a geographic uh, uh, vicariate, uh, you know, not just the same kind of vicar, uh, vicariate thing where the, there was a bishop who was sort of the vicar of a region. Mm-hmm. So they had different yes. regions, and each of the auxiliary bishops had their region. And so uh, that, that seemed to work well um, there. So. Yeah. I think that's the archbishop's idea. I don't want to speak for him, but I think that's, that's basically the model he has in mind. I also heard that um, there was a another shift of taking on additional uh, responsibility uh, of, of Sacred Heart in Bellevue. Did you know anything about that? I do. I uh, I was given the uh, the position of pastor, uh, canonical pastor over Sacred Heart as well as uh, Saint Monica's. I will have a parochial vicar do most of the work there, and I'll still be doing most of the work at Saint Monica's. But yes, there. I will be pastor again of more than one parish. I back in the back in the day in the Olympic Peninsula, I had a number of parishes too. So I'm going back to that um, divide and conquer sort of thing. That's cool. I so I did some uh, I did some consulting work for T-Mobile, and the uh, occasionally I would end up at Sacred Heart 
uh, because of mass times. Uh-huh. Um, so like before the my first meeting, I'd go to mass there in the morning. Uh, and the CEO of T-Mobile at the time, since he's, he's since then he's moved on, uh, he would be at mass. Oh. How cool is that? Yeah, it is. So uh, you never know who you can influence yep. uh, when you're when you're there. And do you ever think about that? I mean, because you're in parishes that would draw a lot of folks that are probably highly placed in some of the big tech companies that are in the area. Uh, I don't think about it a lot, to be honest. Um, think about them more as they're they're people and they need the Lord and they're trying to make it through life. I, yeah, I you know yeah that's true. I I don't think it really. Think okay, what's this guy's job? You know, um, it, it, the Holy Spirit can work with that in some ways, I'm sure. But um, I left that sort of strategizing up. Leave that to him. <laughs> I love it. All right, you have two minutes left, Father. We talked a lot about checking in over the Lenten period regarding what you were doing for Lent. Is there anything that you do to mark? the reality that you're in the Easter season. Do you have any specific Easter practices that you take on? I like to eat a lot more candy. <laughs> I don't believe that, first of all. I'm a, uh, I do have a sweet tooth, by the way. And, and so the, the octave, I definitely let it go. But, um, you know, like many of us, I think that my Lent is probably more real than my Easter. But I do... I do like this different, especially at the end, all those, those beautiful big solemnities that come in. And I do feel it's a little more celebratory, whether that means eating candy or doing something or uh, just, just kind of letting the, uh, letting the asceticism go a little bit and say, you know what, this is celebration time. Nice. I love it. That's awesome. Well, Father, we have um, just a minute left on the program today. I really appreciate you coming on board and folks, pray for your priests. Uh, the Father Lewis is, uh, he just, he, last week was on retreat with the priests of the Diocese of Spokane. I know, uh, Father Nagel, your uh, ordination is, I'm not ordination, your uh, priest retreat uh, for the priests of the Archdiocese of Seattle is coming up in, in about June. a month. June, in yeah. June. And, and I got to tell you, it was one of the jarring things that happens uh, is that when, if for folks that go to daily mass, and all of a yeah. sudden you show up at mass and there's a communion service, yeah. and it just makes me appreciate the gift of the priesthood and not taking for granted our priests. So um, it's an opportunity for us to pray for you, uh, our spiritual fathers, for your own um, well-being and flourishing spiritually and in every other dimension of your life, but also for us to be very grateful for the gift of the priesthood. So thank you, thank you, Father. Oh, my pleasure. Keep the prayers coming. Amen. All right, that's Father Nagel. This is Tom Carr, and thank you so much for listening to Sound Insight. Join me tomorrow for more Sound Insight.